I was challenged by that phrase myself because I was not that child at school. I never strived for excellence. I probably strived to bug my teachers more than anything. But sitting in front of 50 teenagers who have all lost a parent, I felt that this was probably the right place I could go to. I challenged and encouraged these foundationers to strive for excellence, to be the best that they can be, and to excel in all they do. And I remember when I was at Heriot's, that same thought process was in my heart, but it was hard. It was hard to want, because we kept wandering. You would one minute have in your heart, yet yeah, I'm going to choose excellence. I'm going to choose not to be burdened by what has happened in my early years. Instead, I'm going to choose to excel in what I do. But every so often, that emotion came flying back in, and anger came in, and pain came in, and suffering came in. And choosing to excel became harder and harder. I was speaking with one of the teenagers, and there, and right in that moment, in fifth year, they had great grades. In sixth year was their 10 years since their father passed away, and they just could not bring their head around to doing studies. Their hearts wandered because of pain and because of suffering. And right in that speech, and considering today as Father's Day, and also some inspiration that came from our growth group recently, a question has stuck in my head all this week and more so after this morning. What should we strive for? I was watching Leah this morning and some of you might have noticed that every time it came to any new bit of the player singing, her eyes would flick over to me. And if I, you know, thumbs up and gave her, you know, a nod, keep going, there would be a wee smile and she would turn around and she would do a couple of actions. And then she would wander in our yawns and tiredness and sleepiness. Uh, I definitely praise the junior church leaders for coping with Leah, but every so often, eyes would flick over, wee smile, and she would keep going. And it struck me that Leah wasn't singing in that moment for Jesus. She was singing for her dad. She wanted her dad to smile and be proud of her. And my heart this week has just been laid on that topic with Father's Day and with being at Heriot's. What should we strive for? As a teenager, I pursued to make sure that my father would be proud of everything that I did. Is that right? Is it right to strive for other people's approval? Is it right to strive for excellence? Or put it another way, what should we as Christians strive for? What does the Bible say we should pursue? And some of you will know in the room tonight that a favorite phrase of mine that I use is, your reward is in heaven. It's the best way to get out of any bill. Just say your reward is in heaven. Is it heaven we should strive for? Is that what we should be focusing on? To help us unpack some of these questions, uh, we're going to turn to Jeremiah chapter 2. If you have your Bibles with you, you will probably need them tonight in terms of following through. There won't be anything on the screen. We're going to turn to Jeremiah chapter 2, but we'll also later turn to James chapter 1 as well. If you don't know where Jeremiah is, take a right turn at Isaiah, and it is on page 756 in the church Bible. What we're going to do is we're going to walk through verse by verse and just see 
what this passage teaches us on what we should strive for, what we should pursue for. Starting in verse, chapter 2, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me, go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem. This is what the Lord says. I remember the devotion of your youth, how as a bride you loved me and followed me through the wilderness, through a land not sown. Jeremiah is speaking here in God's words, and he is using a recollection of something in the past, the days of Israel, God's chosen people, recalling that in the time of the wilderness desert walking, faithfulness was happening. The people of God were like a bride. They loved God with all of their hearts. I was just remembering when I read that this week about Miriam walking down the aisle. I don't know if she was pursuing me at that moment, but I do know that in her heart she was walking down that aisle as a bride because she loved me. And the people of Israel were walking, pursuing God as a bride because they were filled with love for God. Put in another way, the people of Israel were not striving for excellence. Instead, in love, they were pursuing God. Let's just carry on verse 3. Israel was holy to the Lord, the firstfruits of his harvest. All who devoured her were held guilty, and disaster overtook them, declares the Lord. It was a two-way relationship. The people of Israel were the bride that loved God, and in return, God loved his bride and protected her from all harm, and those who even attempted to attack the bride would be found guilty and face punishment. This rem, uh, reminiscing of God that Jeremiah is writing is describing probably one of the most beautiful love relationships between God and His people. And how now He uses it as a contrast with how the relationship is in verse 4. Just look how the language changes. Hear the word of the Lord, you descendants of Jacob, all you clans of Israel. This is what the Lord says. What fault did you find in your ancestors finding me, that they strayed so far from me? They followed worthless idols and became worthless themselves. This covenant that was based on this two-way relationship, that the people would love and pursue God and God would in turn protect them and take them to the promised land has changed just in one verse. In one verse, we see almost picture-perfect relationship. And in God, it's saying through Jeremiah, what fault did you find in me? What have I done wrong that you have wandered so far? Why do you not pursue me any longer? Why do you pursue the things of this world of worthless idols? God is left asking questions. What is going on in your heart? Is it me that's done something wrong? A rhetorical question by God. The relationship had been tainted. And the people were no longer striving for God. Instead, their focus was on flesh, 
Just kind of on verse 6. They did not ask, where is the Lord who brought us up out of Egypt and led us through the barren wilderness, through the land of deserts and ravines, a land of drought and utter darkness, a land where no one travels and no one lives. I brought you into a fertile land to eat its fruit and rich produce. But you came and defiled my land and made my inheritance detestable. God is saying, do you remember me? In your wandering away from me, in your pursuit of your idols, do you remember me? Do you remember the God that took you through the desert, through the tough times, through the wilderness and brought you to a promised land? Do you remember the God that never left? Do you remember the God that you once pursued and loved as a bride? The people had become ignorant and didn't see at all where God's hand was. God was simply saying here, I'm still here. I have not wandered. Verse 8, the priest did not ask, where is the Lord? Those who deal with the law did not know me. The leaders rebelled against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal, following worthless idols. Worse than the bride, wandering. The bride and God's people were unfaithful. In their hearts, they pursued flesh. In their hearts, they pursued something that was not God. They had a worthless idol. In fact, translated in worthless means to have no power. They went from pursuing a God with all power to pursuing a worthless hunk of metal with zero power. Do you know, I wonder is that the picture our faith can take sometimes? Do we pursue God, but when the tough times come, we wander away? Or do we pursue God, but when that catchy sin or desire of our heart takes hold of us, we are unfaithful to the God that has carried us? I wonder if what happened here in Jeremiah happens still today. If you would turn to James chapter 1 at this point, find just after Hebrews on page 1213 in the church Bibles. James chapter 1. Let's just read what it says. And what I'm going to do here, a little unusual I know, but we're actually going to read a passage backwards, starting with verse 17, 18, and then we'll go backwards from there. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be kind, become kind of firstfruits of all that was created. Just as in Jeremiah, God has not changed. All good things comes from God. God is the one that carries us. God is the one that created us. God is the best thing that can ever happen to us. And we still have a covenant with God. It was different for the people in Jeremiah. Theirs was very much a covenant of follow me, pursue me, and I will lead you to the promised land. Our covenant is found in this table right in front of us that we have just remembered. 
that in our sin we absolutely deserve God's wrath. But God in his love has set a new covenant that in Jesus, in the blood that was shed, we can find forgiveness and be called children of God. And I could guess, in fact, I probably know for sure that every one of us, when we became a Christian for the first time, that first day, that first night, all we wanted to talk about was this love of Jesus. It consumed us. Have you ever met someone who's just become a Christian? That is all they want to talk about. All they want to talk about is how Jesus would love them, a sinner. That Jesus changed their hearts. That Jesus took their punishment. When each one of us becomes a Christian, it consumes us. It becomes our only pursuit and our only desire. Then let's just read verse 16. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Just as in Jeremiah, one verse switches and changes the tone of this passage. In our pursuit of sanctification through Jesus, we are not to be deceived. What is this deception all about? Verse 14. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full-grown, gives birth to death. We are like the people of Israel. We were that bride that once loved and pursued God. But each one of us is tempted on a daily basis. And that temptation will strangle our heart when it can get the chance. And that little desire that we had in our heart becomes our pursuit in life. And it might start small, but it will end up taking our hearts. We've been talking a lot recently as part of our vision about having a passion for Jesus. And part of the reason that we keep talking about it is because it's only Jesus that can protect us from this temptation. It is only pursuing Jesus and being passionate about Him do we protect our hearts. This temptation, although small, will give birth to sin. Sin of choosing our idols over God. Sin of wandering away. Let me ask you, when you first became a Christian, we talked about Jesus all the time. How many of you still talk about Jesus all the time? Is your life consumed by Jesus? I feel like you only have to take a a quick look at my life, and I do wonder, am I prone to wandering? Are each one of us prone to wandering? But we live in a society that says, don't think like that. It's not your fault. You can have what you want. All you have to do is just go and do it. How easy would it be to say, God is tempting me. God didn't look after me. God didn't protect me. God doesn't love me. When we have a sickness, when we have stress, 
And like when I was talking to the foundationers, when we lose someone we love, it is easy to say, God, where are you? Just as in Jeremiah, he says, where are you? I've never left. Verse 13, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. We are not to be deceived in our sin, in our temptations. It is not God that tempts us away to wander. It is our own hearts that tempt us away to wander. Just take a glance at Adam and Eve. Eve blamed the serpent. Adam blamed Eve. Right from the first couple, they were not even able to look at their hearts and say, it is me that has deceived myself. If we wander away from Jesus, it's quite often used as an excuse that it was the church that caused me to do it. There's too much hypocrisy in the church. Or he preached that sermon and I did not like it. So I will wander and go to another church. Or the worship is not to my style. That's why I've wandered away from Christ. God didn't give me riches and he didn't give me health. So I wander away. God is not to blame for any of these things. We must look at our hearts. Do not be deceived. Just verse 12. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. It is still the same two-way relationship as we find in Jeremiah 2. If we pursue God and we stand the test of these trials, we will receive the crown of life in return. It is the same two-way relationship. So what was my original question? What should we pursue? What should we not pursue? And how do we pursue it? Considering all these passages, let me just turn our attention to another couple of passages. Colossians chapter 3, which I read out early. I'm going to read out the full passage. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above. There's our pursuit on the things above where Christ is. Our pursuit should be Christ, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above. Both our hearts and our minds should pursue God, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. How do we pursue God? Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. But now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of its creator. 
Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. When we pursue Jesus, we actively get rid of our old life. So what do we put in its place? Verse 12, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other. Forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. We pursue Jesus. We get rid of the old life. We bring in the holiness of Christ. And then what happens? Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you will be called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all the wisdom through psalms, hymns, songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. In all the passages we have even glanced at tonight, one thing is clear. We should not pursue someone's approval. We should not pursue excellence. We should not pursue our desires, but instead pursue the Lord Jesus, and He will change our lives. I think it's summed up quite well in Luke 14, from verse 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross daily and follow me cannot be my disciple. You see, God is a jealous God. He was a jealous God in Jeremiah. He's a jealous God in James. And he is a jealous God in Luke. He is a jealous God today. He wants all of our life to pursue him like a bride. Many of us in the room tonight are married. What a beautiful thing it is to know that someone loves you that much that they pursue you. What an amazing thing it is to pursue the Son of God. And in return, we can be called a disciple, loved by Jesus, cared for by Jesus, and one day the crown of life in heaven with Jesus. We should pursue our Heavenly Father, strive to be like Jesus, and live in the Spirit. Just to close, we set a verse for the year. I wonder how many of us have these cards. If you don't have one, you still have plenty left. Philippians 3.12, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. In all that I've gone through this week, in all of the prayer and studying and speaking at Heritage and everything, what I've realized too much of our life is spent pursuing our hearts and our desires. 
If only we will be that bride once again that pursues Jesus with all that we have to take hold of that beautiful gift of being children of God. It's not an empty life. Some people, when you hear the words to get rid of the old and bring in the new, to pursue Jesus, they think of all the things that they have to give up. They think of all the parts of their life that they love so much that they don't want to give up. In Jeremiah, it was the promised land. James, it was the crown of Jesus. Today, it's the love of Jesus. To be loved by the Son of God, surely that's worth pursuing. Let's pray. Father, we have had a fantastic day at church. We see your blessing and all that you are doing here at Hamilton Baptist. But Father, if we look at our hearts, and we sang about it earlier, Father, Lord, I give you my heart. Father, it pains me to realize at times in my life I don't necessarily give you all of my heart. That I hold back and I hold things to myself. Father, I pray. I pray for my heart and I pray for all the hearts in this room and for all those listening online. That you take hold of our hearts. That you become our only desire, our only pursuit. That we will strive to be like your son. And that we will honor your love and grace in sending your son. Father, help us think of heavenly things. Help us not think of earthly things. Help us this week as we go to the workplace, as we go to our studies, as we go on our holidays, to not pursue the things of our hearts, but instead to pursue those things of above. Father, as a church, use us. Father, use us for your kingdom. Father, remove from us what is not of you. Take from us the desires of the flesh. Father, replace them with your love. Father, I pray for each one of us here tonight. I pray that we will turn our whole hearts to you, pursue you, strive to be like your son and live a spirit-filled life. And Father, in return, we are so excited to meet you one day. We are so excited to spend eternity with you. To spend eternity praising your name and realizing the promise that you have given for those that follow you. To spend eternity with the Son of God. Father, we praise you for all you are and all that you will do in our lives. Pray this in your name. Amen.